Bustin' Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. We'll have much more on this as we go in the days ahead, I'm sure. But Nats fans want to hear about everything going on between the lines with this team. So let's do that. Let's welcome in Charlie Slows, one of the voices of Nationals baseball. He calls games with Dave Jagler each and every night. You can hear those games on 106.7 The Fan locally and all over the Nationals radio network. Charlie, why don't we start with C.J. Abrams? A year ago, it's just a couple of homers. He had that many in a game last night. And he's now got 18, cruising toward 20. Massive leap for him, both with his power and as a base stealer this year. Very encouraging, I would think. Yeah, I mean, the two home runs he hit last year were with San Diego. So we never saw him hit a home run with the Nationals in the almost uh, two months that he played for them last year. So, yeah, I mean, he hits he hits bombs in batting practice. So we always see that. And, you know, they don't they don't want him to try and hit home runs. It's kind of the same approach they have for a lot of their guys. They like him, you know stay in the middle of the field, try and hit line drives, hard ground balls. But, you know, Dave and I were talking about this uh, on the broadcast because he had a home run off a changeup last night. And and of his 18 home runs, seven have been off changeups. So he, he had the one game where, you know, with the Phillies, you're facing a guy who throws changeups through him seven in a row, and you know, he had a home run on a changeup. So <laughs> this is a guy that, if he expects it, can sit changeup and hit home runs a lot. Most guys are not going to be doing that. When we were playing the Phillies, that's when that happened. And uh, Howie Kendrick, the former national 2019 world champ, two of the I remember that guy. <laughs> two of the biggest home runs in Nationals history. Uh, it, it pains us to see him in a Phillies uniform as a special no assistant. But uh, I was talking with him the next day, and he said, yeah, I'd like him not to swing for home runs and look for change-ups. He goes, but if I got seven in a row, I would be looking for a change-up too. So, I mean, it's <laughs> – he's shown ability to do a lot of different things. And and I think a lot of what we've seen coincides with when they decided to put him in the leadoff spot. It's almost, he was batting in front of Lane Thomas. If you looked at nine, one, he was nine and Thomas was one. He's still batting in front of him at one, two, but it was like all of a sudden chest out. I'm I'm a leadoff batter and not a nine hitter anymore. And you know, the green light to steal bases. And he's shown a lot of the game that everybody thought that, that he could have. And, you know, cringe when you keep looking at his birthday and he still hasn't turned 23 well and that's what i was going to ask you charlie you're around this team every single day was there a noticeable difference when he got moved to the leadoff spot was there a more confidence there like what changed for him well i it just the approach of being in the leadoff spot you know your your table setter get on base any way you can and then all of a sudden you know he was better at the plate he was better in the field and then you're in front of lane thomas and, and the other guys, instead of being a guy in the number nine spot trying to drive in who's ever in front of you, I don't think he viewed himself the same way as a hitter in that spot. And maybe got more fastballs, too, at the top of the order, so much so that they could see he could hit the fastball. They started throwing him more off speed, and he's been able to adjust to that. You know, there, there are periods where uh, he gets a little chase happy, and when that happens, the strikeouts go up and you get some weaker contact. But that's an issue for every every young player or even every player if you're not, you know, uh, an elite player who has the ability to lay off anything that's just barely off the plate. Uh, and that will, you know, all these things will come for him again. We keep thinking that he's only 22 and what he would show us this year. He's exceeded 
I think all expectations at, at this point, and the the sky's the limit. I mean, we could be looking at a, at a potential you know star player for a long time. Yeah, it's very exciting. We started the show talking about you, know, you guys calling the couple of homers and his success in game one against the Pirates. The other of the guys, though, that we were referencing was Kbert Ruiz because he also is going to very likely hit 20 home runs this season after hitting just seven last year. His slug is up from a season ago where he was slugging 360 to now slugging over 410. And while it's been, I think, a really bad year analytically, defensively, if you look at like fielding run value and uh, some of the things like framing and pop time and all that stuff, throwing runners out, it's kind of a mess and he's got a lot of work to do. What a welcome sight it's been to see the power he's brought at the catching position. Do you feel like that's sustainable? And, and then also two-parter, like what is the org telling you? What are you hearing about uh, him defensively and where they want to see him make strides? Well, you know, he's played a lot and and uh, more than he's ever played in a season. And they've tried to rest him. But because he's hit so well, they keep him in the lineup, even as a DH on what would probably be off days a lot of the time because Riley Adams was doing so well against left-handed pitching. And uh, last year, uh, you probably would, they would look for those spots to not play K-Bird and play Riley Adams when you have the day game after a night game or know that uh, there was a certain pitcher they wanted him to face the night before or the day after, so they would they would move that day off to a night off instead of a day off. But, that you know, this year he's hit over 300 right-handed. <laughs> that, was, that was a big progression. Still, you know, most of the power comes from the other side. He's only hit one home run right-handed, and ironically that was against the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium, his old club. Um, you know, pop time has been something difficult. And I think framing, you know, could change in, in the next couple of years. The Nationals have been more about their pitchers in the minor leagues. Just put the glove in the middle of the plate, set a target for the pitcher. Because, you know, the, the 17 inches of the plate wide and guys trying to hit corners, if you set up on the corner and, and they, you know, it's very hard for them to hit that spot anyway, they, they prefer – that you just set up in the middle of the plate and let the pitcher's pitch move, and then you catch it. The other thing is Nationals as a pitching staff haven't been great at holding runners. So, you know, pop time hasn't been as important because the catcher virtually hasn't, a lot of time virtually has no chance to throw the runner out. Uh, so, you know, that's a big difference with the pitch clock and the amount of times you could throw over. Certainly you can improve your pop time. We've seen other catchers, some young catchers come up with some great pop times, but you know, it's very rare that you see any catcher now with good numbers throwing out base runners. And Lane Thomas this year has really had a breakout season. He's someone that was talked a lot around the trade deadline about a possible trade piece. The Nationals end up holding on to him. Is he something that he can continue to be this guy going forward and maybe be an everyday right fielder? Is he more of a fourth outfielder once some of these younger guys coming up? Do you think that Lane Thomas can continue doing what he's done this year? You know, I I would be a guy who had, had his doubts after he came over from St. Louis. He'd never really gotten a chance to play every day there. And, you know, we saw at times when he came over playing center field, he struggled going back on balls, particularly if he had to make a play at the fence. So that was somewhat of a negative for him. Um, he's really improved with that. They've worked on that with him. Uh, and, and he's certainly a better than adequate right fielder, uh, 15 outfield assists leading the major leagues. He's usually pretty accurate with his throws, uh, offensively, you know, there are strikeouts, but he provides some power. Uh, he drives in runs. Uh, he's a guy who really looks to stay on fastballs. That's what they want him to do. Don't let good fastballs get by you. 
Um, and, you know, he could be a guy when you have some of these younger players to get here. You know, you need some guys with some big league experience to bring him along. You know, and at 28, he's, you know, we think of him as a young guy, but he, he's going to be a, a guy in his prime and a, a veteran when some of these young guys get here. And what, what you don't know about any of the young prospects, not everyone comes up and succeeds right away at this level. So uh, it's really hard to predict when they when they make that jump with, you know, some of the best talent in the organization now at AA, uh, whether they whether they're able to make a big adjustment and have success right away in the major league. Sometimes you have initial success and then teams scout you and catch up on you and you got to go through some periods of struggles. And that's where those veteran players are a big help to help you get through those times. So Look I could at players. Him, I could see him being here. Yeah, me too. Uh, I was wrong about him. I, I just, when you get acquired for John Lester at the end of his career, straight <laughs> up, I've got certain expectations. And you becoming an 800 OPS everyday player who plays in an all-star level isn't one of them. That may go down as one of Rizzo's best trades. And he's made right. some phenomenal trades. I mean, if you look at his, you, you can pick nits on the Nationals draft history or their uh, you know player development over the years or whatever. You cannot argue with the trade history in this organization from Denard Spann coming over uh, for Alex Meyer to the Doug Fister trade. I mean, there, I, I could rattle off 15 of them, but this is the latest, greatest trade for Rizzo. Maybe not on the, the trade turner Joe Ross for Steven Souza level, but, man, is it pretty good. You, you get Lester out of here who couldn't put together four good innings and you go get Lane Thomas controllable for years. That's pretty massive. Well, if you talk to Lane... Uh, he won't say that's the only trade that the Cardinals uh, might have gambled on trading away a young outfield prospect. Let's see. There's a guy in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy in Randy Texas. Randy Rosarena. Adolis yeah. Garcia. Garcia. And yeah. he, he goes, that was the AAA Memphis outfield that he played in a few years back. And look at where they all are now. I think I have this right. I, I looked this up with a, a guy who does a bunch of stats this week. Um 25 homers, 20 steals, which is what he's on pace to do this year. I, I don't think Turner ever did that, which is weird. But Desmond in 2012 at 25 and 21. And then Soriano in 06, 46 and 41, went 40-40. So he'd be the third Nat ever to have 25 homers and 20 steals. It's a pretty impressive year. Yeah, I got to look. I thought I thought Turner was 2020, but uh, we'll, we'll double check on that. He's certainly going to be now with the Phillies <laughs> with the surge that he's been on over the past month is unbelievable. But, you know, you look at Abrams, could be 2040. I mean, when you talk about Soriano's 2006 year, people forget he was 40-40-40 when you throw in his doubles. So Trey, Incredible. believe it or not, he didn't do – he had the, the year in 2021 where he got traded. He got to 28 homers with 32 steals. But many of those came with the Dodgers. So in Washington that year, he had 18 homers and 21 steals. So he never had 25. In fact, he didn't even get to 20, uh, but he never had 25 and 20. So Lane Thomas is the third guy to do it in Nats history. If if he gets a few more steals. Right. Let's flip over to the pretty impressive. Let's flip over to pitching side of things. Mackenzie Gore goes to the IL with the blister issue. His year is probably done, I would expect. I don't think they're going to bring him back for one more start. How would you characterize his season, seeing him pitch every single, every fifth day? Some ups and downs. I mean, certainly, you know, there are times uh, where command issues, for everybody, too many walks at times. Uh, but then 
you know, the ability when he gets in trouble, if he needs strikeouts, he, he can beat you in the strike zone. You know, the stuff is terrific. Uh, I, I look at this as his rookie year. If you think about it then, then it's pretty good because he didn't pitch much for San Diego last year and didn't pitch at all for the Nationals after the trade. And so I think this is, you know, first time going through, probably like a lot of the pitchers, reaching a fatigue point uh, in the year. So it's almost like the, you know, the blister comes at a time when they were considering shutting him down for the season. So it's almost a convenience in that term because it helps them make the decision. And yeah, he'd be eligible to come back for maybe one start in the last week of the season. So how much time he's down and can't throw here with a blister to heal, do you ramp up again to do that? Uh, Is it worth it for a start or for a relief appearance? Or do you just, you know, call it a season? I think either way, uh, you're fine and, and look forward to what he can do next year and really, you know, hone in on some things about, you know, controlling his emotions when he's out there and uh, not letting things get to him and work, you know, on, on making the next pitch after you you don't get the call that you want or you don't get the result that you want. From a sheer stuff perspective, he, he to me, looks like the potential frontline guy here, right? He, yeah. he could be your one or your two probably ideally a two if you spend on an ace or something like that. But he could pitch toward the front of a rotation. Uh, Josiah Gray's stuff, to me, is more mid-rotation. Ideally, he's a three, a four for them, something like that. Having said that, he threw really well in the first half. He made the all-star team. He's a guy that I root for personally. I find him to be just an awesome dude, and he's involved in the community. does a lot of stuff over at the Nats Youth Academy. But, Charlie, it has been an ugly second half for Josiah Gray, and, and you kind of keep waiting here for just him to turn in a clean, good quality start that you can feel good about, and uh, we're still waiting. ERA is up around six over his last nine outings, 40 innings. Average against is almost identical to the first half of the season, but he's just walking so many guys. The home run rate's up from where it was when it really dropped off substantially in the first half as well. Uh, what do you make of his second half? Should, should we be worried, or do you think it's just a rough stretch? What's your view here? I think for Josiah, and no one's talked about it, but I think he's tired also. I, I think he got to a certain point. Uh, fatigue was cause of maybe, you know, getting out of sync his mechanics again and flying open, which leads to, you know, lesser command of his fastball and then less confidence to throw the fastball and then throwing so many more of his his sliders, his, his curveball, his sweeper slider version. Uh, he doesn't throw the change up much. They'd like him to throw it more, but you got to have a fastball to, to make all that stuff work off of. And that's, what's really uh, become an issue with him. So I think, you know, they're going to have to start all over again with his mechanics and get him back right to where he can command the fastball, because when he can throw a mid nineties fastball, that's legit to have the other pitches to work off of that fastball. But the problem you have is when the opposing hitters know you're not going to throw it. And those other pitches are, you know, swing and miss pitches that aren't necessarily always for strikes. They're not going to swing at them. And then suddenly you're behind in counts and you got to lay one in there. So Jake Irvin has been a nice revelation this year as well. Cause when he got called up, Grant and I were talking on the podcast saying maybe he makes a couple spot starts to probably end up being a bullpen guy. And he's looked like a legit guy that can stick in the back end of the rotation. What are your thoughts been on Jake Irvin? I say don't sleep on him at the back of the rotation. I think he's I think he's more than that with his maturity. If he could really hone in, add another pitch because he, his changeup's been very effective, his command is very good. Uh, he can add and subtract on his fastball. Um, he's very mature. 
I mean, we were talking the other day after his six-inning performance against the Dodgers, allowing one run. I said, what do you think? He said, that was a ch- I took that as a challenge because my first start against them, because he faced them back in May, wasn't as good. He goes, but if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. <laughs> I really liked his, his attitude of how he was disappointed that Mookie Best wasn't in the lineup. He wanted to face <laughs> Betts again and try and get him out. And, you know, that's just, just the mature attitude that he brings as a 26-year-old rookie. He's older than the other guys. He's more mature than the other guys. And he understands what he's trying to do. And I think, you know, if you can add a pitch to get better. I think he's more than just the guy at the back of the rotation. I, I think he has a chance to be better than that. And to that point, Charlie, like there are other guys like that in the system too. Irvin was not a highly regarded prospect. We think so much about these prospect rankings, and we talk on this podcast every week about Dylan Cruz, James Wood, Brady House, Elijah Green, Dalen Lyle, Yoani Morales, all those guys, Robert Hassel. But the fact is, next year you'll get Cavalli back, who's a household name. He'll be in the middle of the rotation, clearly. But there's a lot of guys like Jake Irvin who I think might end up, uh, and it, not all of them will, but potentially outkicking their coverage and becoming decent major leaguers. Like Mitchell Parker's had a really nice run here in Double A. I know they're high on him. They think he could be a good starter. Uh, a similar player on the, you know, he's right-handed. Uh, you know, uh, he's left-handed, but uh, DJ Hers, left-handed pitcher, who similarly in the same rotation is another guy who's. You know, if he cuts down on walks and throws strikes, like both of those guys have a chance to be major league starting pitchers that help. Jackson Rutledge on the verge of the major leagues has been at double and triple A and has a sub four ERA this year, former first round pick. Like these guys aren't high end prospects that get talked about nationally, but you see it with Jake Irvin. Like not everyone's going to be Grayson Rodriguez or, you know, Clayton Kershaw come up with all the fanfare with everyone watching their first start. It doesn't mean you can't become a valuable innings eating force middle of back end of a rotation and help an organization out. Yeah. And sometimes the guy who's that hot prospect doesn't turn out to be who you think he is. And the Jake Irvin does. And then you're yeah. saying, well, he's no, you're saying that guy's no Jake Irvin <laughs> down the road, <laughs> but it'll be interesting if we see, you know, the nationals have to uh, put a starter in there this week, being with Gore and the injured listed. Jackson Rutledge was pulled from his start a few days ago, the same day that Gore uh, left early with the blister issue again. And uh, he's been working on the same day, really, as uh, as Jake Irvin for over the past month. So we thought that if Irvin got shut down in innings limit because he's, you know, first full year back from Tommy John, that it might be Rutledge. But we might be Rutledge anyway this week here in uh, Pittsburgh. So we'll see. What day is the opening? Uh, Wednesday. We have a Dome. Uh, Tuesday, an opening Wednesday, and then uh, Gray's supposed to pitch in the finale on Thursday here in Pittsburgh. So that'll be pretty interesting if Rutledge gets the chance. You know, the one thing you look at is tri- AAA numbers, and I think don't look at the walk numbers, something like 30 in less than 50 innings, because everyone who's gone to AAA has had an issue because of the automated strike zone not being as accurate. And there's been stories out now that they've made an adjustment to it because the, the zone was smaller than what umpires would call and so everybody would come up from double a AA to triple a you know from every ball club all of a sudden everybody's walking players left and right so i i think the walk numbers are somewhat inflated number for almost everybody you look at a triple a that that has been there all year because of the the automated strike zone 
So I want to look at this team in general because we talk about Davey Martinez, got the contract extension. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good of a manager he is in the clubhouse and keeping the guys motivated. Even in a season where the expectations weren't super high, I think they've exceeded those expectations this year. What's the vibe been around this team? Because all season they've really been scrappy. It wasn't necessarily leading to wins early, and then they started winning some ball games and looked really good coming out of the All-Star break. But what's been the vibe around this clubhouse all year long? Well, I mean, they come to play. There's energy all the time from, from especially the bench guys, you know, guys who started out on the bench like Vargas and uh, Michael Chavis. And, you know, a bunch of young guys also getting a chance to play in the big leagues for the first time, so they always bring energy. And you never see a Nationals player not run out of ground ball. You see other teams, guys don't do it, and the Nationals dugout, especially when they're at home and they're in the first base dugout, be yelling, Run that ball out. Talk about they're yelling at players (laughs) of the other team. Touch first base. Touch first base. And other teams have noted this. Opposing managers have told Davey, we see what you're doing over there and we like it. And, you know, I I think it's something that other managers say, yeah, this is what I I want. You know, they're saying, look, look at those guys over there, you know, as hard as they play and come prepared. And uh, it's it's been nice. I mean, last year, especially first half of the year was about the, you know, it's been, it, it had been a while since Dave and I watched baseball like that every day. You didn't see glimmers. You didn't see a lot of hope there with what you were looking at on the field. And then, you know, we saw some of it in the second half, even, you know, the, after the trade deadline and seeing some of the young guys get here. But this year, you see what it can be. You know, when we started this, started out this, this interview talking about C.J. Abrams, I mean, just go right from there and, you know, you're seeing light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, this this thing with the players they have coming has a real chance to turn faster than anybody uh, would have thought. When you looked at where they were at the beginning of last year, when you talked to Mike Rizzo in the first half of the year, he'd say to me, he goes, I know, Charlie, he goes, the big league level, we're bad. He goes, we're really bad. He goes, but it's not going to be this way for long. And, you know, who would look back now at this point more more than a year removed with the emotion that was involved in it, with the way the first half of the year went. And they made an offer to Soto, and, you know, he didn't take the offer, and they traded Soto. And, you know, what the, what the demoralization must have been like for the fan base at that moment. And, you know, when you're in the position of Mike Rizzo, and, you know, whatever the reasons he has to deal with financially, uh, you know, and, and again, one guy making that much money handcuffs you doing a lot of other things. Uh, you know, when, you know, at, at some point that's going to get San Diego with all those big contracts, unless you've got an owner that just has no limit to what he can spend. But, you know, in the end, you, we're going to look back and if, if they hit on all of these players that you got from Soto and even now with just two of them in the big leagues, um, that, that, that looks like an, a, a, the, the best thing you could have done for the organization was make that yeah. trade. Yeah, I, I think basically just the if Gore and Abrams pan out to your point, it's it's a win potentially, uh, based on what would lie ahead with Soto going to free agency and where they were in the build. But then you add in Hassel and Susana and the possibilities therein, and James Wood, it looks like he's going to be a star. So, um, I mean, Wood is is obviously the game changer. I don't know if you get much out of Susana other than maybe the bullpen. Hassel had a really brutal year in the minor leagues for the most part, so that the arrow is trending down. But let's say you get nothing out of those two, and I, and I don't think that's the case. I think both will help them at the major league level for a while. But if it's just the other three, I'll do that deal every single time. Pretty amazing. 
I'm just glad you and Dave get to call some wins every now and then. Charlie, thank you so <laughs> yeah. much for hopping on with us, buddy. We appreciate it. Thanks, Charlie. You got it. it, it we're excited. I mean, we're excited about what's to come. There, you know, there's so many young players in the organization now uh, that you see the light at the end of the tunnel that are coming. And, uh, you know, at some point they're going to have to make decisions on who gets to play and maybe who becomes part of trades to get something else to help you, you know, take that next step over the top once again. Fun to think about. Make sure you're listening to Charlie and Dave every game on the Nats Radio Network locally in the D.C. area if you're listening to the pod on 106.7 The Fan. You're the best, Charlie. Thanks, bud. You got it, guys. That was Charlie Slows, one of the voices of Nationals Baseball with Dave Jagler. Of course, you got to check out all those games. They do a great job not only calling the action, but they've got a great rapport. Charlie's been with the club since day one. Dave's been with the team since season number two. And, Toby, I listen to uh, radio baseball constantly. This is like a, you know, just one of my hobbies, passions, so to speak. Uh, we're lucky here. There's a lot of broadcasts no around the country that are not at the level that the Nationals is. It's, it's probably top five to ten in all of baseball. And uh, we're spoiled in that way because there are, you know, teams have just not spent like they used to on their broadcasts. And you can tell. Yeah, I mean, just listening to Charlie and Dave every single day, it's it makes you realize how good of a broadcast the Nationals have with the radio. It's just so much fun to listen to those guys describe the action. And like you said, I mean, they have a great rapport. They have great radio voices. They understand what's going on. And it's awesome to listen to those guys. I listen to them probably more than I actually watch the, the games, honestly, because I I, or at least the the best is when you can when I was in Milwaukee Grant the best was I was able to watch MLB TV and have the Masson broadcast and watch it and listen with Charlie and Dave right. and I don't think it gets better than that no that's pretty strong Boston Loose Baseball episode 84 is in the books big thanks to all of you for checking us out and to Charlie for joining us we're back at it later this week